0: Welcome everybody to the season premiere of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you now. We're weekly, not daily. We were daily during, you know, COVID and the craziness the last couple of years, but we've gone back to weekly now that the world seems to have, fingers crossed, somewhat regulated itself and gotten itself back to normal. So we will be weekly throughout the season. You catch us live on Thursdays or anytime on the podcast at fan590.com or on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And joining us for the season premiere of the show, a perfect time to chat, uh, and I say this with all the respect in the world, a guy who's been around a while, a veteran voice in the NBA, and he's been doing it for almost 30 years with the Philadelphia 76ers, the radio voice of the Sixers, Tom McGinnis. Tom, thanks for the time.
1: Uh, Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. Uh, Great to be on with you and Jonesy. Thanks, guys.
0: Hey, now, Tom, before we even get to to some basketball stuff here, um, you've been coming up here for a long time. You were even saying this off the air before we went on. You know, you kind of add up at least two trips a year for, like I just said, almost 30 years, include a couple of playoff series uh, over the years as well. Well, a few playoff series you must have been up i don't know if you come here on personal time as well you must have been here i don't know what 60 70 times over the course of your life over the course of your career you know where does toronto rank in your stops because we often talk paul and i about our top three top five and it's not always just the warm cities it's places that have good restaurants and good culture and, and things to do and whatnot where does toronto rank for you
1: Well, it ranks right up there for a lot of the reasons that you just spoke of. And, you know, I'd probably mention this to both of you. And my number is actually 28 years uh, in the NBA. And that is the exact same time that the Raptors came in. So that was the Mm. 95-96 season. In fact, and we've talked about this, I know we have over the years, where we played the first ever games against the Raptors out in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and St. John's New Brunswick. And uh, that was really cool. So to that, then then we came up here and we played at Sky Dome. And that one dunk you see at the end of Iverson's rookie year was at Maple Leaf Gardens. And and now at the Scotiabank Arena, you're right, twice a year times 28 minus, uh, you know, a lockout season or a a COVID uh, bubble scenario. But yeah, and then some playoffs, as you mentioned, three playoff series over the years and you know, I love it. Like uh, to be able to go to the theater here, that's that's one of the. I have to get out of the room. I like to be entertained and like to have, you know, like thought provoking experiences. I go to mass all the time and, you know, I do that and I go to movies. I go to the TIFF Lightbox Theater all the time uh, in the Yorkville area. There's a theater here, the Varsity Odeon and just all kinds of things. I'm on the go. I mean, I don't need, I need less food, not more. Although, you know, we're by one of the great Italian restaurants anywhere in, in your city, right where I'm staying. Um, there, there, There's enough food food on this tour. So I'm not big about sitting and, you know, eating for two and a half hours. Uh, and I go on my own a lot just because I'm out and about. But how uh, about that for a Canadian accent? But I love it here. You know, there's no doubt about it. It's only an hour away by flight. And, uh, you know, we've come up here over as division rivals over all these years. So everyone talks about this two-day set, and what do you think? And it's good to get it out of the way. To me, I-, I could come here eight, ten times a year. And just lastly, we're going to Chicago after the game tomorrow night, Friday. And that I grew up in Illinois, and that's where I kind of got bit by the NBA bug was in Chicago. And so when we fly into Midway, like a little serum drips on my heart. and It just feels so good to be back uh where you know like i grew up in in a way i grew up 100 miles from there but like i said i went to the stadium as a young kid pre-michael jordan i'd go down on the court and rebound for the opposing team just that's where i my dream was hatched if you will and then to Mm -hmm. go back there all these years i still have family and friends there it's very special
2: yeah tom and and i i echo that for me a kid who saw his first game in New York, you know, I, I, I'm the same thing. When Eric knows this. When we go to New York, I get to see family and, you know, I, I, I was a closet Nick fan and, and we did a game once, the two of us, Eric and I, and we took a picture at center court and the guy was rushing us off the court. I'm like, dude, you don't get it. I grew up in Queens, man. I, I ain't leaving this court until I'm ready to leave the court. So nice. I, I hear exactly what you're
1: No, they get an A in root. Hey, they get an A in rudeness there, right? <laughs> but no, the garden is awesome i mean for any of us the garden is you know as you guys know it's the best and it's the worst at the same time but the atmosphere the environment the mecca of basketball all that is so true the electricity it just flows through you but then like you say at the end of it you might get kicked in the rear too
2: (laughs) tom what do you think about the the schedule and the way they've Set these things up and, you know, like I was laughing with Allah and Kate last night and, and, you know, we're talking about it now. It's not like it's a long flight and you're saving, you know, you're saving all that travel distance between Toronto and Philly. Like you said, it's I mean, it might be an hour. And by the time you get up and down on the plane, you you, you can't even get your meal down for crying out loud. But I, I, I see why they do it. But I, I guess what I'm looking for is your, your take on it and, and just your thoughts in general. We got – Eric said it best yesterday on our broadcast. We got that baseball feel or that playoff feel where, you know, you're going to see the same team tomorrow night and you've had a day in between to adjust and, and away you go.
1: Right. I'm sure there's many reasons in and, and the league. You know, I don't know that they've ever spoken out. I think probably obviously one of them is travel and convenience – the one thing that could be a negative, and you know, thankfully for for the Raptors and for the series that Scotty Barnes has been able to, play, but if somebody big from either squad was missing and you played two games against your division rival in the first two weeks of the season or whenever that occurred, that would certainly be a hindrance, right? If that person wasn't able to play because of the back-to-back back nature, but I also think it might be to foster rivalry, and I, I would say there's no doubt that we have a rivalry between the two franchises with the the amount of times they've played, and you know those things are born out of playoffs as well. I mean that 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 playoff to, uh, in, in nineteen, the seven gamer with Kawhi's shot where your team advanced and ended up winning the NBA championship. That that certainly would add to that, um, uh, you know. And it's just and Toronto's actually dominated in in that respect over recent years, going all the way back to thirteen and fourteen. So that might be part of it. Um, you know, I think the league is trying to grab anything that's different. You hear about this in-season tournament, not, not anything that's different, but these types of things that don't really tweak the schedule all that radically, but it might add something in the end. And it's gone on for a number of years, so I, I don't know exactly what the specific hook is, but I don't think it's bad.
0: Hey, Tom, I want to jump back to that in a second because it's something that Jonesy and I were discussing yesterday on our, on our pregame show on, on Wednesday as well, just chatting a lot about you know the way the NBA is trying to tweak things and move things forward. I don't ever foresee you know doing this whole relegation system in an A division and a B division, but I, I want to put that on the back burner for one second because as we're talking about history here, and you brought up AI and SkyDome, let alone Maple Leaf Guards and all that stuff, one of the other themes, and listen, I know that there is a long, long history, a much longer history, with the Philadelphia 76ers in this storied franchise versus the Raptors, who are approaching 30 years themselves. Who's the greatest rival for Philly? Not just all time, but then maybe if you can kind of look more currently. Because, Tom, one of the things we were saying is, if you think about current, and, you know, yeah, we're sort of maybe guilty here of recency bias, I would say right now Philadelphia is Toronto's greatest rival in the league, period. And if we even look all time, some used to say just because of geography, maybe Detroit. Some used to think, eh, maybe, okay, the Knicks, based on some of the battles they had early on. But if you include that AI battle that you talked about back in the postseason of Vince and, and Iverson yeah. exchanging 50-point efforts, then the championship season a few years ago, then last year, it might be from day one, Philly is at the top of the list, at least from a Raptors
1: perspective. For sure. And ours, it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even, if you were to ask me who's the greatest sixer, which I get a lot, I sometimes waffle and say this guy or that guy. But for us, it's without question, it's Boston. And, uh, you know, that rivalry, that, it just amazes me. And I'm sure with baseball, the numbers are way great, bigger. But for us, I think the game we played, you know, October 18th was the 465th renewal. And that's only the regular season. I think if you add the playoffs, it goes up even over 500. Well, it would certainly do that. So, like last year when they were scuffling along at 500, and the Sixers were rolling, I'm like, "Let's play Boston. We'll finally stick the dagger." And you know, until they turned it on, I'm like, "Okay, maybe not Boston again this year." You know, because they've they've dominated us. You know, like uh, they really have. I mean, you go back to the bubble; they swept us out for love. Uh, and they've taken care of us. And they're, they're, they're obviously very good. They made it to the finals last year. So, And the Knicks would be in there for sure. Um, but for me, it's definitely Boston. Just the history of the Lord. That's NBA history, Russell versus mm. Chamberlain and all those good teams. And, you know, even back in when the when the Sixers franchise won the first championship, they've won three. It was 1967, and they had to go through Boston. You know, And then the year that they won, in 83, you know, the Celtics fans chanted, you know, beat L.A. Like, if it's not going to be us, we can't believe we're rooting for you, but let's beat the Lakers because that's one of those big rivals. So for us, I think, bar none, it's, it's the Boston
2: Celtics. Uh, interesting, Tom. And, and Eric and I, I, I know I, I grew up in that era and, uh, you know, kind of cheered for Philly because I was a Dr. J fan. And uh, it was it was great to see them you know, to see them to win that title. Um, it, interesting stuff when you talk about the East and the rivalries. And I look at the East this year. There are no easy games in the Eastern Conference this year. Like I just, uh, you know, like I, I look at uh, Philly and, and Toronto last night. It's a ten point ten point game. I look at Toronto's first five games outside of the Philadelphia game. Everything was inside double digits you know the first three games were decided by 18 points have you have you when was the last time you saw this kind of parody in the east tom where you know you could you can throw a blanket over seven or eight teams who if they get hot and stay healthy at the right time could could you know represent the conference in in the nba finals
1: i couldn't agree more and uh I don't know like specific i know for years everyone though the west is better and the player movement had something to do with that uh and you know where where Shaq would end up on a given year that kind of thing going back a few uh but without question uh, i agree wholeheartedly with the eastern conference and at this stage i hope we're, we're we're in that mix you know because it's true and then uh and you just love the influx of young talent. And those teams that are getting these younger players may not be on the cusp or in the conversation of what you're talking about. But, you know, we've already played Milwaukee and Boston and and the Raptors. And, you know, I think they all qualify in, in that regard. So going back a few years, I don't know when, when that would be the case. It may predate uh, my time, might be in the early 90s with the Knicks and the bowls and you know the end of this uh, pistons reign like that but uh, it's it's great I, I mean i the number one thing for me is the competition and it is at uh one of the highest levels in recent years to be sure and almost every night as you say in the eastern conference
0: speaking with Tom McGinnis, radio voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. Tom, let me circle back then. I said I was going to put it back on the back burner, so let's, let, me, let me bring it back to the front burner now here. Um, the competition, it's, it's arguably the greatest it's been in a long time in the Eastern Conference, in the NBA in general, thinking about the parity uh, across the board, and, and it doesn't seem like there are many off nights, certainly in the East, but but in the league in general. And, and listen, Tom, there have been some down years, there's been some lean years, no doubt, but just as a fan of the game, what do you think the league could or should do beyond what they've already done now the last few years with the play-in? Like, are are you a fan of the in-season tournament? Are you a fan of a, a sort of secondary postseason tournament like Jonesy's talked to me about, maybe throwing all the teams that don't make the playoffs into a tournament, and the winner of that playoff tournament, quote-unquote, is the one that actually gets the number one pick. The league then talking about whether they would ever do this relegation type thing like we see in soccer slash football overseas. Like, what do you think might happen, or does the league maybe not need to tweak as much as perhaps the chatter is out there
1: uh, You know, in terms of them doing so? Right. Lots to unpack there. First, the play-in. I, I think it's great. It's like baseball. And you know, How about Philadelphia going to the World Series? Yeah. They were basically a play-in team, right? And so it brings the other markets literally into play in the final weeks of the season. Like you know they were saying, "Oh, the Phillies are going to make the playoffs I'm like kinda you know and they they did get into the playoffs, but and and eventually, I think all of our teams are going to be you know hopefully you know we'll be able to avert that this year. we've got to turn things around a little bit. It's only two weeks in, but you know eventually, like as your team you know it goes from its the pocket of time where it's really in a in a championship uh, run and then comes back, you might be in a play situation, you understand, so I think that's good because it brings three or four markets back into play, and then it's scary. Like, if you if you finished eighth and that's you're not peaking at the, in April, you might be out, you know, and that would have been a tough matchup versus the one seed anyway. So there's there's a lot there, but in the end, I think if you're good enough, you'll advance. It really puts the onus on being one of the top six. You know, we always used to think about top four. Heck, we used to think about winning your division matter. Uh, to Jonesy's deal, I don't agree with that, just because you wouldn't want to take the uh emphasis of what the playoffs the NBA playoffs are fantastic. You wouldn't want some sidebar tournament in Vegas or whatever for the you know for the teams that are going to be in the lottery and like that. They've already tried to tweak the lottery a little bit, you know, with the three teams getting 14%. As for relegation, listen, anytime Adam Silver speaks like when we go to the broadcast meetings or he gives the state of the state at the All-Star weekend, the guy is so bright. It's so I just love listening to him talk. You know what I mean? I'm like, if I could just brush up on that jargon and, and talk like a corporate type, I think that would be, you know, because he's just so intelligent. But and when yeah. he mentioned relegation to the Phoenix group, if if that's how I understand it, I, I you know I think he just means that at the league, they go over so many things. They're trying to take the best things from other leagues, and obviously, you you know the soccer deal is what brings to mind the in-season tournament. But a relegation, there's no way. I mean, people started talking about that. Uh, I know Frank and Brian were talking about it on NBA radio, starters, the starting group, whatever. But you know what I mean? And they're like, well, wait, so does that mean the Westchester Knicks would be playing? You know what I mean? That There's no <laughs> way that would ever happen. Now, if some type of relegation to where, you know, your pick goes down or something like that, maybe that. But the, as far as like, you know, You know Crystal Palace, which, by the way, our ownership group owns. You know what I mean? Potentially being relegated uh, as one of the three teams in in the Premier League that's a whole different matter. So the in season tournament sounds like it's going to happen. There's no that right. That's going to be down the pike next year or whatever. We'll see. I mean, I think you got to monetize that a little bit for the players. That's the type of thing that takes a little while, like the play in tournament. Look simple things like the last day of the season where all the game times are at eight o'clock, right? That seems that's to me as sports fans, we follow these things. Remember baseball? It was, I don't know what, maybe eight, nine, ten years ago, one night in baseball, all these games, it was flipping around. It was like the red zone for major league baseball and all these things happened in one night. It was like fireworks going off with all the shifting and the different game. And I think the NBA thought that might occur if we do that too, with all these different races that are coming down, whether it's the play in or whatever it might be. So they're all looking, it's entertainment. And the more that you can add sizzle, I mean, the NBA, I mean, the model, the off season is, is dramatic and entertaining as it some teams, some leads major parts of their season. So, uh, but I think they're going to go for it and, and, and do different things. And I think that's, that tournament, along with the play-in, are, are things that are going to be here in the near in the near future.
2: Well, uh, look, there's a lot of stuff that has come up um, that I, that I like, but I, I'm not trying to be an old stick in the mud. But uh, you know, I'm sure they'll find ways to monetize it and and maybe incentivize it for the players, but. I mean, we're worried about wear and tear on them. Now we're going to throw a tournament in the middle of the season. I that (laughs) that that, that part of me doesn't doesn't compute. That Tom, I I want to talk a little bit about the Sixers, and um, you know, not it's early, and you know, it's it's almost a shame that um, for for Philadelphia that they don't get a shot at Toronto when they've had a chance to figure it out. There's a lot of moving parts with the Sixers right now. I just see that there's great potential, uh, you know, with Harden and Embiid and I love some of the moves made this year. I I, I love the Melton move. You know, you get another shooter in, in a in a kid like House. PJ Tucker's gonna help the defense. He's a guy that's willing to sacrifice. I just but even with the training camp, the real games are different and it, it's gonna take some time for this team to, to fit the pieces together. I, I know It's good for Toronto because they're catching them now before they figured it out, which, you know, again, the schedule has other implications because, you know, maybe Toronto after uh, the, you know, the second game is going to have a tiebreaker advantage. Who knows that that you're going to have to wait until later in the season to see if it plays out. But, uh, you know, tell me what you see for the potential of this Sixer team once they put it together, once they get the pieces to fit together.
1: Well, you you know, you hope that they would be a championship contending team that's playing its best basketball in March and April and, you know, Lord willing, getting to play to Bay. But to your point about the schedule, it is what it is. When the schedule comes out, you know, you can't feel sorry for for us or for any team like it is what it is. You know what I mean? You're right about uh, if Toronto wins, they they put themselves one, one game away from a tiebreaker. So that's certainly... An implication for way down the road, and you know your other point, Jonesy, about training camp because training camp was great. The Sixers went four and zero in the preseason, and you know obviously that doesn't matter. Milwaukee went zero and five, and they jump out of the gate and they're playing great. Um, and the Sixers were a really good They averaged fifty-five rebounds in the preseason. So that you know, and it's hard sometimes to gauge with the preseason when you've seen enough basketball like we have, like yeah. the the offense can barely even score. in in training (laughs) camp. The defense is just swarming all over. Um, So, there's a few things, and you guys know this from your preparation and watching the game and watching the Sixers, you know, with defensive transition, their bench play, and all these right now are things that are lacking a little bit. The points from the bench, the pace, uh, second chance points, rebound. The Sixers came in last night's game 30th and rebound. So, all those things have to change. uh, You know, regardless of those things have to get better. And the whole deal, I think Harden has his first step back a little bit. I think last year we were watching like, oh, he doesn't create the separation like he did, and if anybody watched him in Brooklyn. But I also think that he wasn't 100%. He appears to be, albeit at 33, back to like the skills commensurate to when he was at the peak of his power. I'm not saying he is, but I'm just saying his game seems back. So relative to pace, but he handles the ball a lot. And that you know, like everybody like look at how the Raptors play, moving that ball, swinging it side to side and and that you know, like I when Brett Brown was here, like he tried to play the San Antonio, so you had a point think of this, point five to make a decision, dribble pass or shoot. and you know the you know we got James Harden, who's arguably one of the greatest offensive talents in the history of the sport out top, and he can get he. Creates and the stats that he put together last year for the Sixers were amazing. Analytically, as Nick was saying last night, the, the pick and roll with Embiid is off the charts. But it's melding the post-up game of Embiid and the shooters that are spaced out, like Maxie, who's, you know, Stan Van Gundy called him the most underrated player of the game when the Sixers played Boston to start the season, and he looks like he's ready to break out to another level. But it's putting all that together with Harden Uh, back to, like I say, close to where he's been, and with Joel Embiid being a post presence and playing today's NBA style with ball movement and player movement, and the Sixers have got to figure that out. So having said that, if they do, uh, they could get on a roll. Like Doc Rivers said, and what he's done in his first two years here, they've cobbled together wins. They won like 51 and and 50 in a short and 72-game season two years ago. While they were getting better at figuring it out, They were winning games, and right now they're trying to figure it out, but they've only won one game.
0: Tom, we've probably kept you long enough. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to uh, chatting with you again at some point over the course of the season.
1: My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, guys.
2: Thanks, Tom.
0: That, again, the radio voice of the Philadelphia 76ers, Tom McGinnis. Always love chatting with him, and, and great to hear him, you know, big up Toronto right off the top, Jonesy, in terms of, uh, you know, and listen, we, we've heard that so many times over the years, and, and I don't want to be guilty of, like, you know, trying to, you know, talk as if we're the, the, the lower-class citizen again or something, or, you know, like we, we're always trying to, to, to say, oh, hey, here's what the Americans think of us. But, honestly, it is nice to hear good things about your city. You know, I'm thinking about today – beautiful fall day. It's, I don't know, 55, almost 60 degrees Fahrenheit or whatever, and and I was just talking to our colleague Michael Grange a couple weeks ago. I don't even know why this came up, but we were chatting about All-Star games, and it makes me think back to that Toronto All-Star game where, if you recall, right before All-Star weekend, it was pretty damn nice in the middle of February. Then All-Star Weekend rolls around, and the polar vortex comes, and it's like minus 50, no joke. And the very next week, like less than seven days later, I think like five, four days later, after everybody pretty much cleared out of town, it was like... 50-55 50-55 in February and people were walking around and going for jogs and shorts. <laughs> Man, hold on a second. Can we get the NBA back? Because it's beautiful and, and you love to see that representation. And the reason I talk about the weather and the culture and the restaurants and just being proud of what you've got, I think, Jonesy, we know from talking to broadcasters, let alone players and coaches and whatnot over the years, we know they love the stop, but it's always like, well, but it's for you know once a year. Well, now it's once or twice a year, but it's maybe for three or four days now instead of 18 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, because a lot of these teams are going to come and plant roots for a few days in playing these back-to-back games, and that gives people a chance to maybe explore and see, and for the Raptors to quietly maybe also campaign a little bit more.
2: Yeah, no, it, it is. And, you know, we hear about it all the time. Oh, it's cold in Toronto. Hey, have you looked at the map? Minnesota's north of Toronto. Like it, it's it's very cold in Boston and Chicago too. New York is no walk in the park. Either is Philly. Uh, you know the, the, there there are some cold places in the NBA. So I think in that regard Canada gets a bad rap. And and Eric, yeah, we were at the All-Star game in 2016. But the All-Star game in 2015 in New York, the weather was just as cold. And the last one that we went to in 2020 in Chicago in February. Uh, that was pretty chilly too. So, uh, and 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 by the way, the NBA All Star game will be in Utah this year in February. So, mm-hmm, figure mm-hmm. that one out. So, um, it, it is nice to hear though, and that's something that you know we have all known as Canadians. Once these guys get a chance to come up here, and get a chance to see the city, and I, I joked with the one-time uh, president of the Players Association, uh, Billy Hunter. You know, we we during a Vince Carter charity game early on, he said, you know, it's it's tough to get our membership together for, a, a, you know, attendance at these meetings to discuss issues. I said, I tell you what, man, you plan your meeting caravan a weekend in Toronto. You'll have 100 percent. You'll have 100 percent attendance. Trust me on that. one. <laughs> yeah, so right um, that. <laughs> we, we we know that, you know, that, and we don't need anybody's validation to tell us that Toronto is a terrific city. It's a world class city. And now the the rest of the NBA and the world, if they weren't sure, are starting to find out.
0: All right, let's step aside for a break right here. When we come back, we'll uh, shift our attention back to the on-court stuff. And uh, we'll discuss the Raptors season. Again, it's the first episode of the year. We're only a week, week and a half into the regular season. So lots to discuss and project for the Raptors campaign. Plus, we're going to have a chance to hear from Chris Boucher much more to come on the season premiere of Smith and Jones welcome back to Smith and Jones Eric Smith Paul Jones with you make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast please download rate and review Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones. We are weekly this year, live on Thursdays at 7 o'clock Eastern on... Sportsnet 590 The Fan, but again, you can hit the uh, podcast anytime you like and listen in anytime. Jonesy, I don't know if we're going to get the numbers of, you know, like the the, the world-class, all-world, like smartless or something like that, but let's get those podcast numbers up, and we'll be talking ball throughout the season, folks, so make sure you keep it glued to and downloading all the time and subscribing to Smith and Jones. It's going to be, I think, a very interesting year, to say the least, for the Raptors, and a potentially special year because, Jonesy... I I said this to you, I believe, on one of our first pregame shows, maybe opening night of the season or the second night of the season, I look at the Eastern Conference right now, and I feel like at some point over the course of the year, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but at some point over the course of the year, I'm looking at there's about 10 teams, maybe 12, but at least 10 that I've got pegged for playoff spots. And it just so happens there are 10 playoff spots with the play-in. But I figure among those 10 there's going to be two that kind of separate themselves at some point i don't know if it's going to take 20 games or 50 games but there's going to be two that kind of put themselves ahead of the pack after that three through nine three through ten i think it's going to be boom throw a dart against the wall blindly with your eyes closed and there's not going to be much separation much difference between those teams and i don't know if the raptors will be one of those two teams or one of those seven eight nine teams but they are right there in the mix with so many and that makes this season so entertaining as a result
2: well i think you can you can throw a blanket over a bunch of teams in the east eric and and you know we we talked about it with with uh with tom mcginnis and the parity that exists with the east and uh, uh, you know just the other day i was watching um you know a, a national broadcaster in the us and somebody Came up with the idea, and they, you know, not came up with the idea, came to a realization and said, "Oh, look out for the Raptors; they're going to surprise people." Well, yeah, we've been saying that all year. Maybe we're too close to the trees to see the whole forest, but uh, they they don't. It's because they don't. People don't count them as much because they don't have a sexy name. There's no Giannis. There's no Durant. There's no Embiid or Harden or you know there's no there's no jimmy butler there's no sexy name but they've got really effective players you know pascal's already said he wants to be a top 5 so i i i just think that you're right eric the, the east is going to be so tough this year and and as as we were talking about earlier i don't see a point where you cruise into somewhere i mean the, the only team i would look at is uh, you know some young teams that are building our Indiana and Orlando but I just think you can you can get beat any night any night by any team in the east if you don't bring your best game and even on nights when you do bring your best game you know there's there's talent Uh, there's talent around the east so uh, it's going to be really interesting and and you know can teams avoid long protracted losing streaks and I'm not talking about getting blown out every night but Look at the Raptors' first three games. Three games decided by a total of 18 points, and then they get an eight-point win at Miami. Uh, you know they, they get a double-figure win against Philly. Uh, it just, it, like I said, it can—it's going to be that close for the entire season.
0: Yeah, I really, I really think it's—it's—it's going to be. Man, it's going to be fun. You know, you look at the schedule even out of the gate. Um, you know, starting with. Uh, you know, starting with 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 you know Brooklyn on the road and Cleveland at home and two on the road against Miami and then back home for two against uh, Philadelphia and then home against Atlanta. Like, where's the break? Do you have one gimme in the first seven games of the season? No, you don't. And, and I don't care if Philadelphia's struggling or Miami hasn't found their stride yet. These are all damn good teams, and there there are no gimmies there. And and that's the problem. You look down now, and and it's not this is you know a, a Toronto show, but we're talking NBA as well. I don't see a lot of gimmies for a lot of teams. Like, Jonesy, I don't know if it was you that said it or who, uh, you know, because we've had both of us so many conversations in the last week, let alone last month. But even a, a, a team that you expect or think is probably not a playoff team, Detroit might be knocking on the door. Like, they, they're talented, and you know Dwayne Casey's always got them ready to go. What about Sacramento? You know, when you start looking at, at the Kings, how about Utah? They were expected to be a bottom dweller. They've played well, at least in the opening week, week and a half of the season. Portland, people didn't think were going to be great. They start the season without a loss in the first four games of the year. Like it's, I'm not seeing a lot of games where you're saying, oh, yeah, there's a night where we can afford it. Nobody's going to say to take the night off. Everybody's going to say, you know, we're not taking our opponent lightly, blah, blah, blah. But you know that happens. I don't think it can happen at all this year, like ever.
2: No, uh, and, and again um – you know there there are. Uh, I, I look at the Raptors division. You know we used to call we used to joke and call it the Titanic division, where you know the Raptors when they were going well would go 14 and two against the division. Well, it's not happening. It may not happen this year. I mean, you know, look at look at the Knicks out to a good start. Uh, you know, we've talked about Toronto, Philly, Boston, and Brooklyn. Like there's there's the potential for every team from the division to be in the postseason, you know, in, 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 at least in the play-in. So uh, I, I just think the East is so difficult this year, and uh, you better bank wins when you can. And to your point, Eric, there are no nights off. Don't plan on taking a night off uh, because that's when you could have your, your, you know, your hat handed to you the wrong way.
0: We're going to be hearing from Raptor forward Chris Boucher in a few minutes' time. Uh, and we'll bring you that uh, conversation before the end of the show. But Jonesy, the thing that stands about uh, stands out, excuse me, about this team thus far, uh, not just in the first week or so of the season, but you know even through training camp and whatnot, is the unselfishness. And and uh, on Wednesday night, we had a chance to chat with Fred Van Vliet after the Raptors' victory of the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. And one of the things that that Fred was saying to us is the recognition of how good they can be when they're playing unselfish realizing that not one person has to carry them every night and then also recognizing and appreciating the fact that because of that unselfishness because of the chemistry um, this team is much further ahead at this point in the year than they were last year and I wonder if that in the end is going to make a lot of people a lot of the quote unquote experts look silly for not maybe perhaps taking the Raptors more seriously uh, when projecting what this season what this year might look like
2: uh they got to take them seriously um you know they had uh in in you know the the win over Philadelphia uh they had six players in double figures you know they, they and and there are some definite barometers for this team you know Gary Trent Jr had a terrific game and when he is going uh you know it it makes it it the raptors become very, very difficult to beat. There was a stat. I'm going to dig it up here in a minute, but um, you know, I, he was he was playing off uh, Pascal Siakam well. He was finding his own shots. Gary uh, running the floor for easy layups. I, I just think I look at the way this Raptor team plays, and to Fred's point, they realize it doesn't have to be a one man show, and there are so many different guys that are that are capable of carrying the team it it's it can be a different guy every night and um, you know Gary Trent jr I, I, I'm digging up the number he he had twenty seven points last year when he had twenty five or more the Raptors were thirteen and three that's not that's sixteen times. That's not out of the realm of possibility that he could do that again this year with this team being more together, understanding their offensive concepts and people's, um, you know, tendencies and where they like to get the ball and, you know, coming together more so as a team. So, and, and again, with Pascal Siakam playing the way he is, Scotty Barnes is going to improve in his second year. So I I just think the Raptors are a team that you can't take lightly. You you just you just can't take them lightly. Um they have so many so many capable people and once the bench gets going and Nick trusts them a little bit more, all of the queries and all of the concerns about minutes and wearing guys down, those may be alleviated once the bench starts to play. Boucher and Achua have been terrific off the bench. Uh, Chris just coming back for a a short number of games. And Otto Porter hasn't played yet. Thad Young, another veteran who, you know, maybe they're saving the minutes right now. He's not playing a lot. We don't know if he's injured or there's something nagging. But, I mean, those are guys that can really step forward and help your team. And I, I think the Raptors have great depth and they have great potential this year. Well,
0: we're going to hear from Chris Boucher in a couple of moments' time. So I'm glad you brought him up. But what a difference he has made, just even in the last couple of games for the Raptors. You know, missing the first, uh, uh, you know, couple of handful of games for the Raptors to start the season, and he's just been a, a solid force in the second unit on both ends of the floor. Um, but I think you're bang on when when this team uh, is fully healthy, and maybe that's. Maybe that's something that you can never say for the Raptors or any other team, and that's pro sports in general, right, is is when fully healthy. How many teams are ever fully healthy? Those are normally the teams that have a greater chance at maybe going deeper into the postseason or going on a championship run because of the fact that they stayed healthy, but it just makes Toronto look so much better when you have a reliable second unit, when Nick Nurse has more pieces to go to, and you don't have to lean on your starters as much as he did last year. And that was one of the themes through training camp this year with Nurse, where he said he was going to make a conscious effort to try and curb or curtail the minutes a little bit more, especially for Fred Van Vliet, but also for Pascal Siakam and Jonesy. That might be imperative for Siakam this year because what we've seen now over the 1st you know seven ten days of the season is Pascal, who talked about wanting to set the bar at being a top-five player in the league, well, it's very, very, very early returns. But right now he is. And I would, dare I say, caution that in order to stay playing at that level and having that kind of impact, on one hand, you need to be out there and playing. On the other hand, you can't be run into the ground and be tired or fatigued or, or potentially risking injury because you have to log so many minutes. And, I'm, and that's not a criticism. I think that's just a fact. If you can keep him fresh, he's got a greater chance, to me, of being that much more impactful and having this same kind of impact longer sustained and doing it all year.
2: Well, I think the way you do it is, and, and I don't know if there are going to be many nights like that in the in in the East this year, but if you can get off to a start, I mean, last night the or sorry, uh, Wednesday night, their defense wasn't uh, totally up to scratch, but you get out to ten, fifteen, sixteen point leads, and you're able to hold the team at bay with your defense. Uh, there's lots of capable guys, and you can give, you know, Pascal extended breaks and and cut into his minutes that way. The same thing with Fred Van Vliet, take the ball out of their hands, let some of these other guys do some of the heavy lifting. Uh, You know, Pascal's been off to a great start. I mean, a a 20-point double-double. Again, I mean, I think he he trails only um, Damon Stoudemire, and and a couple other guys like he's third or fourth in that list in raptors history of 20 point double doubles and the guy still has a long season in front of him so you're right eric the, the key is to try to keep him fresh and i think the onus is on the bench guys to play well enough so nick will trust them and not be afraid to put them in the game
0: well speaking of the bench a guy who is a welcomed addition to the second unit again missed a couple of games to start the year but he's back He's looking fresh. He signed a contract in the offseason, and hopefully the sky's the limit for him, let alone for the team. Um, Jonesy, unfortunately, wasn't a part of this conversation, but he'll be a part of damn near every conversation going forward. I had a chance to go one-on-one with Raptors forward Canadian Chris Boucher. Chris, officially, I guess I say welcome back with the new contract. How close
3: did things get in terms of looking elsewhere, or was this always top priority? I mean, for me, it was always top priority. eh? But I feel like my agent probably talked to other people and all that. I just didn't want to be part of it, to be honest It was my first free agency, and it was stressful enough. So for me, I just wanted to focus on getting better. And um, Bobby and Messiah, you know, made it clear that they wanted me back from the beginning. So that made it a lot easier for me. Did you ever at any point last year get stressed
0: out or concerned about it was a slower start to the year? Yeah. But then you gradually got better, got better, and finished real strong. At
3: any point, did that weigh on you or not? Did like contract um, year and all that stuff? I mean, there's a point where, um, you know, before, the, before Christmas, I think that's where I was like, well, you know, I might be able to, having to play overseas or whatever because I was not playing well and I knew it was my contract year and there's so many trade talks and all that and I felt like I would have to go to another team and try to prove stuff that um, I feel like I was able to do. It's just that I didn't, I had a slump moment, so... I think during that time, I definitely um, felt like it was getting away from me. But, um, you know, the one thing that always worked with me is going back to the basic and who I was and what brought me here. And that just cleared out everything for me.
0: Is that one of the things that maybe we, whether it be, you know, broadcasters, media fans, don't see? Like, I mean, I'm not trying to play psychologist here, but you don't look at the mental side of the game sometimes and see yeah, what yeah. people are going through and, and, and see players as people yeah. and and that you're maybe struggling and trying to find your way.
3: Yeah, but I mean, that's a, a certain thing. Everybody's trying to do their job, too. Yeah. So if you guys just to focus on the performance and all that, you guys don't really have the time to focus on that mental part that we are having. But um, yeah, it's definitely playing a role on a lot of players. And that's something that um, I feel like players should just – Talk about it more, you know, and that would help the broadcasters and all that to realize that it's a real thing. And, um, you know, like Kevin Love, when he came out with depression and all that, I think that helped up realizing people could do, go through those situations. And um, for us, it's just, like I said, at some point, some way, uh, your career is not going to go like this all the time. And usually, the you know, downs is when you can see how players are reacting to a certain situation. And for me, it was just trying to figure it out what I could do to get out of it. I don't want to put words in your mouth by any means you've been very open and honest about your journey and your
0: life period away from the court do you think the struggles the the hardships
3: that you had had in the past help you get through not just last year but anything well, 100%. in life 100 i mean it can never be worse than what i've lived before so that's that's how i go with every situation in my life even though like it's not a bigger deal whatever it is um if i'm struggling with something i could i always know that it can't be worse than what i've been going through and I'm in a better place now, and it usually makes it a lot easier to find a solution when you take it The and posit- you want to see a result out of it. And I just go like this with everything in my life. Like the 20 games I played like bad, I was like, well, one game at a time, and then I'll be all right. And it, it really worked out. I don't know. I'm going to guess you're
0: not this type of guy, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. Do you have at any point, even if it was for five seconds, yeah. sit back this summer and look at the contract you signed? No and go
3: where i was where i am now how do you not um because i have so much stuff going on right now that um you know it's so like my family's doing well i have my friends i'm building i'm helping myself i'm expansion on a lot of stuff that um you know i want to be able that when i'm done playing then i can reminisce about everything i've done but i have so much work to be done right now that it's hard to be, like, thinking about where I was in the past. I know where I was. You know, I know what it feels like, and it's great. It's driving me to do an amazing thing now, uh, definitely build my personality and how I think. Uh, and I try to. that's the only time I think about it is when things are going bad, and I'm like, well, guess what? Look where you're at now, and that helps out. But not, I never try to compare where I'm at to... to
0: when, I, when I sit here listening to that, to me what pops out then is, like, an emerging leadership, or at least leadership qualities. Yeah. Um, that's one of the themes in talking to, to Thad Young earlier. It seems like this team has a lot of young vets, not just you know some old heads like a guy like Thad, and I say that yeah, respectfully, yeah. but young vets. How much do you relish that role of being sort of a, a voice now, a guy that's been around and being that, that veteran leader?
3: Uh, I mean, it's different now. I mean, it, to be honest, with I used to go in the gym and be able to just come in and just put in the work without having to feel like I have, I'm a model or somebody is looking at me to, uh, for as an example. So... Um, now I'm mean, not been here for so long. I know all the plays. I know the coaches. I know really what we're gonna do, how the season's gonna go, how people, you know, how the how we're moving as a team. Um, it definitely feels good to be able to help the the like Christian guys to run and um, be a model for them. And you know, I, like like I said, I came a long way to become a leader. So it's not like it came in one day. Um, I played with Serge. I played with Kawhi. I played with so many people that. I got the 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 chance to be around that. Now I can show that to the young guys.
0: All right, last one for you. You can answer either as an individual or as a team, or both, if you choose. This team's greatest asset, or your greatest asset for this team to be most successful, is
3: the for the team for us for us to be as most successful is to ride the ups and downs and never be too high, never be too low. I think that's one thing that's always going to be good with us. Um, you're never out of a game. You never you never close to winning unless it's finished so at the end of the day that's if we're able to think that way i think we'd be a really good team um we got a lot of experience we got a lot of young guys and the mix of all that um should make us a successful team awesome best of luck thank you appreciate it yep
0: That was my conversation with Canadian Raptors forward, Chris Boucher. Always love chatting with Chris and getting his perspective. And uh, in a future show, perhaps next week, we're going to have a chance to hear from many of the Raptors, including Thad Young and so much more, hoping to get some players and coaches on throughout the season, Jonesy, as we will be on live every Thursday on Sportsnet 590 The Fan at 7 o'clock Eastern. But you can download the podcast anytime and listen whenever you want. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Apple or Spotify, Google, Amazon, whatever it may be. Subscribe to and download Smith & Jones. And you can always interact with us on social media as well. Paul double underscore Jones. Again, super plain name means two underscores because there's lots of Paul Joneses in the world. Paul double underscore Jones. And ditto for the super plain Eric Smith. Eric double underscore Smith. So you can find us on Twitter. And uh, on Instagram as well, Eric double underscore Smith. And with Jonesy, you gotta flip it around. It's Jones double underscore Paul. You killing me with that, Jonesy. Consistency, man. Consistency. Somebody You're killing took me it. with the backwards. Somebody, somebody
2: stole it already. Come on.
0: Man, we gotta we gotta pay that guy off then. We gotta we gotta see if we can buy it from that person. Gonna find whoever this person is and, and making them offer he can't refuse. All right, folks. That's the season premiere of Smith and Jones. Again, make sure you check back on Thursdays for fresh material and keep it tuned to Sportsnet of The Fan uh, as Jones and I will guest on shows throughout the week and, of course, for our Raptors broadcast as well. Have a good one.